Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. And I am so excited to kick off another series of Thriver Stories. I think this is the third round of Thriver Stories that we've done. And really, the hope is just to share various women's stories of things that they have gone through or or things they are going through that really are um, equipping and encouraging us as we walk through our own difficult seasons. And um, today I'm talking with just uh, Lisa Apollo, who is a beautiful mom to seven. And uh, she is a widowed mom. Um, she shares her story um, in this episode. I'm going to suggest you grab some Kleenex now. Um, but really, I was so deeply encouraged and inspired as we had our conversation. And so I'm excited we're going to kick this off today um, together. She also has a book coming out April 19th. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes that her book is Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your Life Back Together After It Falls Apart. Um, so check out her book. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation as well. If you want to check out my Ready to Thrive School I have the link in the show notes because I just want to encourage you to thrive wherever you are at. Uh, And I am sharing the code THRIVE20 for 20% off any of my courses because I really do believe now is the time to thrive. Um, Also, I want to share with you something else that has helped me thrive in this season has just been um, addressing my gut, my microbiome. I had no idea that 90% of our serotonin and other happy hormones are created and housed in our gut. And so I have been healing my gut, which has really helped with my overall mental health, my energy, my overall wellness. I love um, a combination of products called Happy Juice, uh, which combine mentabiotics that Heal the Gut, um, a product called Edge, which really helps boost your mood, your motivation, and your metabolism. It's really helped me get back to the gym and moving my body. And then a product called Energy, which I sometimes use all three as happy juice. Sometimes I just use the energy as needed. If I feel like, hey, I need a boost of energy, all natural products, energy won't leave you having any jitters or any kind of crash. So I've also linked that. Uh, It just says, grab my wellness products here. Um, and so you can just check out all of those products there as well in my show notes. So I just want to keep giving you tools to thrive, um, as well on my Instagram, you can find our free budget tracker, just anything that you need, um, wherever you are at, cause we are often focusing on one area of our lives at a time. So I know you were going to enjoy this conversation I had with Lisa Apollo, um, in our first episode of this round of Thriver Stories. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting here with Lisa Apollo. She is a mom to seven kids. She also is a widow and the author of Life 
can be good again. Putting your world back together after it falls apart. Um, and Lisa is a new to me friend, and I'm just honored to be able to have a conversation with her, hear a bit about her story and um, everything I've heard from Lisa so far. She shares a great deal of hope and wisdom. Um, I was just picking her brain before we started um, as she is a, she's a mom to seven. And so I'm a, I'm a mom to three. My kids are a little bit younger than hers. And so I was like, give me some of your hard earned wisdom. So we had to stop that conversation so we could move on to this one. But Lisa, thank you for being on Ready to Thrive. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. Now share with me your story. I'd love to know um, just, I think maybe it begins in grade eight. Is that right? So yes, grade seven. Okay, grade seven. So I, I met my husband in seventh grade at church youth group. Um, we were, you know, he was just a boy in, in class at, at church at that point. But it, as time came more on by high school, we were part of a good group of friends. And then in late high school, we started dating. So, um, you know, we, we went to college together um, and we intentionally chose that. We got married in college. And, you know, as we ticked on, we ended up with seven kids, which neither of us had planned. He wanted two. I wanted, I had to make a deal with him to get to three and then got through a series of events. God just overruled that. And we ended up with seven kids. So yeah, I, um, you know, life was not perfect by any means. It, we had struggles. We were, I was just sharing those with you before, before we came on, but, um, we had parenting struggles for sure. We had financial struggles. We had marriage issues that we had to wrestle through. And some of those were, were, I would say pretty, pretty good difficulties, but, um, we were, I was in a place that i liked. I mean, if I could have chosen my life, that is the life I would have chosen. I was at home at that point. I had worked earlier as a, an attorney. And by that point I was home full-time with my kids. Dan was in a job that he loved. I enjoyed watching him thrive. And, you know, I just thought this is going to be the rest of my life. You know, this is kind of what I planned and what we have, have wanted. And on a very ordinary Friday morning, I woke up to Dan's funny breathing and I reached, I really wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I reached over in the bed and just nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And I fully expected him to roll over and that we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm a few hours later. And as I woke up more to his continued breathing, he didn't roll over. And so as I woke up more, I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately that something was very wrong. Um, we started CPR immediately called 911. They were walking us through, you know, my four-year-old would always during the night crawl into bed with us somewhere in the middle of the night. And she was laying in between us. So my kids heard me crying out, you know, to Dan, can you hear me, you know, swabbing his throat, just trying all these things. Your mind is just on overdrive. And they, you know, took the little ones out of the room. One ran down to get our fireman neighbor to help. But before that neighbor was even, they were even at the door knocking, um, the paramedics were there. So I thought, okay, good. Like they are here. And, and, you know, Dan is going to be so upset when he wakes up and realizes he's going to miss work today. Um, they took him by stretcher to the hospital and I, I followed. And then a few minutes after arriving at the ER, which was just pin drop quiet. I don't think there was another soul. This was not our downtown ER. Um, there was another soul in there. 
And I really wanted to hear that rush of activity, like, you know, patient activity and things going on and treating a patient, but I didn't hear any of that. And they took me back to that room that you never want to go in. And a very kind ER doctor told me that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and that they'd never been able to revive him. And so in that moment, life as I knew it just imploded. Um, thank you for sharing, sharing your story. I know you've been um, sharing it over now. This has been 10 years, 10 that, years. Okay. Um, what, what do you do from that moment forward where you, like you said, um, life as you knew it had imploded. I think so many people, um, can relate to a moment in their life where they have picked up the phone, where there's been something happen, uh, they weren't expecting. And it just felt like everything kind of bottomed out. So how did you, how did you begin to move forward? Your book says life can be good again, putting your world back together after it falls apart. So um, keep sharing with me that process of really life falling apart. Um, where do you go from that moment, um, even going back home to your kids and beginning that process of grief? Yes, there are a lot of ways that life can implode in loss. Um, you know, you, you can get that diagnosis, you can get that phone call, it can be a di diagnosis for you or your, or your somebody in your family, it could be a spouse who's walked out, it could even be a business that you've poured your heart and your dream and your sweat and time into, and then something happens, I walked with a friend through that. I think, you know, after the initial first days, because the initial days are really just survival. You're just clinging to God, doing the things that you have to do. You know, in those first few days, we were doing the estate work, the, the planning, the service. But after everyone went home and the house quieted, for me, I, um, the one thing that really was a game changer for me was get, this sounds so, so obvious, but getting away and getting to the word every day. And, you know, I had been in Bible studies before I had taught my kids the Bible. We did Bible time usually every morning as a family, but now I needed it um, more than I need even needed physical food. It was my daily, like I had to have that. So I would get up in the morning. In fact, this is the way it started. I was running in a nearby park. I had gotten out, gotten my shoes on and was running and I didn't even have this Grief is so exhausting. I didn't even have the strength to continue that run. And I, my mind was swirling with thoughts. I was just on overdrive. And I just stopped and audibly cried out to God on that trail. Lord, I have got, you have got to speak to me clearly. I have got to have you like you were the cloud to the Israelites and the, and the pillar of fire to the Israelites. I know you can do it. And I just thought, I cannot have to guess. I cannot have to second guess. I cannot have like little feelings and that just, I, I was having to make so many decisions for my children, for our finances, walking them through grief, just so many things. I thought I've got to hear from God clearly. And in that moment, he not audibly didn't speak to me, but in my spirit, I immediately sensed him saying, you stay in my word and I will speak to you. And so that began a process for me where I would every morning get up, I would kind of get my kids started for the day. And then I would get in my minivan 
and just drive around the corner to a little nearby park. And in my minivan, I would just cry out to God. I think in that, in those places of when life shifts so dramatically, um, when we're going through some kind of shattering disappointment or loss, we have so much that just is uh, brewing in us, in our thoughts, our emotions. And so to be able to every day take that and pour that out to God, we, it's too much to pour out even to a girlfriend over coffee. Um, it's too much to, to let spill over into our family. We've got to deal with it. And so I would get away and pour out to God. And as I poured out my emotions, my thoughts, my worries, my fears, I would open the Bible and whatever I was reading that day, because it was on a reading plan of read through the year, um, whether I was in like Leviticus or Psalms, it didn't matter. God would speak to me from pages of scripture. And it would either be a reminder of who he was, how he how, how faithful he is of his character, or it would be a promise that I could write down in my journal, that I could date in my Bible, and I could claim for me right then and there. Um, there's so much that um, Lisa was just sharing that I want to unpack, and I got a bit teary because um, as she was sharing about the cloud going before and the pillar of fire behind. That has been my prayer. That was my prayer, I think, last night and even this morning. And and I share that because that is, I think, how deeply God loves us and knows us intimately to say, like, I'm going to speak to you through my word. I'm also going to speak to you through my people. Um, and that just those moments to say, I see you. Um, I love what Lisa shared about um, crying out to God, honestly, and even, um, more than our girlfriends. And I think the temptation is, I have this phrase that I've used that is go to the throne before you go to the phone, because the temptation is to talk to a friend and we want to lean on a physical person in front of us, whatever that thing is. And I feel that temptation. And there's friends that I have in the season who get me and I can, lament and complain and all of these things, but actually the place of honesty with God, that crying out and in that place of saying, I'm angry, I'm disappointed, my whys, my whatever the, whatever the thing is, the honest, honest deep down. Um, I love that in the car, going for a walk or a jog somewhere out where I feel like, you know, no one is around. Um, sometimes in the shower, like having that space where you feel like, I feel like I can be just authentically real. And so, um, in those moments where you were crying out, did you feel like it was, it was that gamut of emotions? Like, was it anger? Was it despair? Like, what were you kind of processing as you'd cry out to God? Yes, it was, it was all of that and all at once. That's the, the, the thing about our, you know, when we're going through a place of deep loss, it's not tidy emotions. It's not a sequential, you know, process. It is all of those, sometimes even conflicting emotions all at once. It's regret and sadness and missing and longing. And um, there's the anger, there's the fear, uh, deep disappointment. There's all of that. And God, our emotions are not just safe with God. They are safest with God. Just, I love that you're, you said that to go to the throne before we go to the phone. 
because we know who we can go to to tell us what we want. But um, God created us and created our emotions. And so they don't offend him. They don't unsettle him. They unsettle us. And, you know, they're not comfortable to feel. We want to kind of escape them and get, get through them as quickly as possible. But the Bible actually has a word for this. And I don't think at the time I even knew that the Bible calls it lament, but it's all through the word. And you just, you just spoke about that lament where um, in Psalms, we see it, especially where David would come to God, you know, with whatever he was feeling, whether it was frustration or fear, um, anger, even, uh, you know, contrite over his own sin. I mean, all those things, just bringing that to God, bringing it to God. And instead of having to like come to God, all put together or thinking that we can handle all this emotion on our own, the Bible scripture shows us a process where we can take our emotion to God, cry it out to him, leave it there before him and then say, but I trust you. So I miss, I miss whatever, you know, I miss my husband. I miss that life. I miss the family we had, but I trust you. Or I'm upset. How could this happen? I didn't see this person. Why would you let this? But I trust you. I mean, at each stage, and it's not like it instantly make, we will feel relief as we do that, but it's a, pro, a long process of daily doing that. And the more we do that, the emotion grows softer and less harsh. And that trusting, we see God working in us and working around us. And that becomes more and more, you know, it, it takes us to a place of healing. Well, I love that you um, really are sharing about that grieving process in um, in that lament, in coming to him, right? Like that is the place where... Um, you know, we can be like safest. We can pour everything out to him and it's not a quick fix, but it is that place where we are held. Um, and even in the Psalms, I love how David's pouring out his heart, but also um, there's a few places where he talks to his soul and he says like, okay, now we're like almost this, like we're going to get up. And my favorite song of the last year and a half has been this song by Brandon Lake called Gratitude. Um, and he has this line where he just says, come on my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Like you've got a line inside of you. Get up and praise the Lord. And that has been a song I've had to play again and again just to say like, we are going to get up and praise the Lord, even in those places where we don't feel like it. Um, I'd love to ask you about the role that gratitude has played um, in your journey over the last 10 years? A huge role. And I think uh, outside from getting into the word every day, that was the second intentional step that did the most for me. And so one thing is, is that when we were in a place of, you know, when, when circumstances have upended and turned upside down, we feel like we're such a victim of this. Uh, this was not our choice. We didn't want it. Things are massively changing around us. And but we do have a control over what we do in the circumstance. And so one of those is to intentionally look for the good. 
And for me, it did not start off as some altruistic, you know, holy thing. Honestly, I just desperately needed to see good. I felt so bad and life felt so bad. And if you had asked me, is God good? I would have said, yes, my head knowledge knew God was good, but I didn't see his goodness right there in my circumstances. And I didn't see it for me. And I needed that desperately. And so I began to um, just before and before my Bible time, before I went to him really in prayer, like I need this from you and I need that from you. I started writing down seven things, which is number a list, one through seven. And then the next day, eight through 14, and just kept going and kept going. And, you know, it was, I would look back over my day before and it would force me to pause and to look for God's hand. And sometimes it was very ordinary things. You know, you brought those cardinals to play when I was outside and it was such a joy to watch. Or sometimes it was a small thing, you know, a very personal, practical thing God did. You know, that friend showed up with, you know, the whatever for the children. And it was so helpful. And then sometimes it was huge things, things that there was no way that I couldn't give thanks for him. But all of that helped me connect the dots because as I gave thanks every day, it helped me pause and look back and connect dots between my prayers um, but even beyond my prayers, what God was doing for us. And the other thing that gratitude did that I was kind of a surprise, it was a surprise gift, was that the more we give thanks in hard circumstances, the more we see to give thanks for. It just is an explosion. It opens our eyes like nothing else, like an opening the two front doors of your home to a beautiful spring day to see, oh, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the, the loss, the gaping loss of, you know, that person who's not sitting at the dinner table with you or, um, you know, that appointment that you're having to show up for that you don't want to. But right there in the midst of it, there is God's hand working all around you and giving thanks helps us capture that and savor it. Oh, that's so good. I, um, was reminded of how I've heard from neuroscientists that there's something as well in um, gratitude that it really does kind of shift things in our mind as well. Um, being able to sort of intentionally, um, pra like people talk about it like a gratitude practice. And I feel like, um, I love how you were very simple with it, just seven things um, but intentional. And I think that's something as well, um, that pr probably for many of us, um, could use as well. Um, just kind of including that as a practice. Um, you mentioned you had two things. Is there anything else you feel like you'd want to, um, share about, uh, before I move on to another question that I have, um, was there a kind of a third thing that would be helpful in that time? I, um, had to find a way through fear. Fear will paralyze us from moving forward. And especially when you are going through something that seemed very far-fetched, you know, a lot of, I mean, I had had fear before Dan died. I feel like it was a little bit garden variety fear. Not that it was uh, simple fears, but, but they, if I really stopped to look at it, you know, it was very far-fetched. 
But when something happens, when you get that diagnosis or there is that accident or, you know, so, you know, your spouse does walk out in all of these situations, what you never thought would happen now becomes real and other fears seem very real as, as well. And so that fear of like, for me, it was fear for my children. I feared for their health. I feared how in the world I was going to raise seven children to adulthood. How was I going to get these teen boys to adulthood, to manhood without their six foot three dad? I really feared that they might, um, that they might act out in grief. I had seen that in other families. I feared for my future. I, we were a one income family and now that income was gone. I had very real fear about how God was going to take care of us. But I realized that I was beginning to parent out of fear and react out of fear. And that fear was just kind of a vice grip over my thoughts and my heart. And it was paralyzing me. And so one day sitting down over coffee with a very good friend of mine who also was walking in unexpected. She um, had a diagnosis that was a degenerative chronic diagnosis. And she said to me, I know this one. And she said, you know, in the Bible, it tells us to take all of our thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. And so I began to do that very practically. Um, I began to, whenever fear would come up, it was all day through the day, whenever one of those fears would bubble up, I would call out the lie. So that was step one, call out the lie under that fear. Because all fear, if you're a believer, is based on a lie, you know, that God is not going to provide for me in this season, that God is not going to give me wisdom to parent, that God is, that the other shoe is going to, you know, there's just so many lies. And so call out the fear. And then I literally would kind of imagine in my mind being lassoed, you know, taking it captive, getting rid of it, and then replacing it with a promise of God. So we have to know two things. We have to be able to identify the fear and we have to know the promises of God. So um, knowing, I began to note those in scripture and there's a, there's a lot of resources to find the promises of God, but actively, actively exchanging the lies for truth help me. At first, it was very, it was often, it was all through the day, but the more I did it, the less I had to do it. Um, but it just will free us up and help us move forward. That's so good. I, um, that same verse, second Corinthians 10, five in the passion translation says taking those thoughts captive, like a prisoner of war. And I love that description because, um, I'm trying to, I picture myself, being on the battle lines and you know if you've ever played capture the flag you're like oh, okay it can get a little bit aggressive here and there but this is really like life or death and um sometimes those fearful thoughts feel that way like they feel so they feel true they feel overwhelming and so um i love that you shared that you were like this is what i'm gonna do so as a thought comes my way, first, the first thing really is being able to identify like, okay, is this thought true? No, this is, this is a lie. This is a fearful thought coming my way. And I used to have that about my kids. A thought would pop up. Okay. And, um, and then the other thing I like to say is it's like going to the gym. And so if you go to the gym, you are very weak when you first start. You're like, I don't know what these machines are. I'm overwhelmed. And okay, I guess I'm just going to do this thing for my biceps. Okay. And you go the next day and you're like, I don't really feel like I'm getting any stronger. And you go the next day. Over time, you feel so much more comfortable. You're like, I know what these machines are. Also, I'm so much stronger. 
And I believe the same is true when we begin to practice both identifying those thoughts that aren't true, as well as taking them captive and realizing like different, different thoughts have different weight, whether it's because of the consequence or the probability. Um, but being able to say like, no, I am, I am taking that thought captive. And I love what you said. And I am, I'm calling it out and I am replacing it with the truth. I think that there's so much wisdom in that to say, this is what, um, this is what God says in the Bible, right? And I am going to begin to speak that out loud. Um, you know, it's some of those things you might feel a little bit funny about um, at the beginning. Like if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm right here in the kitchen and I'm, you know, I'm making dinner, but I am, I'm calling out the truth. But there is something in it that I think really um, is like God gives us these, these tools, these things that are they're verbs. They're kind of these action steps. And I think it's easy to be, like you said early on, um, you can kind of live in this place of being a victim, right? And whether we are actually a victim to something that has happened in our life or whether we just feel like life is happening to me, I'm stuck. And so I think really God has given us some of these tools to say, no, 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 you, you're able to overcome with me and I'm going to give you these tools. So I really appreciate, um, I don't know if there's anything more you want to share about that before I move on. No, I love that. Um, I'd love to just ask really how, how did God provide for you? Because like you said, you were a one income family, um, and seven kids. And I'm thinking of these big teenage boys with, um, who, who would have a lot to eat. So how, how did God provide for you? Um, and then I'd also love to hear even just how you got into writing and because um, that also wasn't necessarily, at least as far as I know, on your traje trajectory. You know, it makes me think even as you ask that question about the hundreds of ways God has provided that I couldn't see at the time. One thing about any kind of difficulty, we, we would never choose it for ourselves. And yet in that place of difficulty, and really, if you're in a place of utter need where you are up against something that you can't fix, that place of utter dependence is exactly where we, you will get to see God in ways you never would if we could always fix it and always control it. And so as much as we don't want these places of suffering or difficulty, they are so rich because we see God on the pages of scripture become alive in our life. And if you're raising children, even if you have adult children, there is no better lesson for them than to see God active and alive in your life as you walk out a place of that you don't know and um, a place of just faith. And I remember shortly after Dan passed away, I think it was the first time we sat sat around together after everybody had gone home right six days after their dad died and they were on the couches I can picture them on the couches and chairs around our little family room and I said you know this is not normal I don't know why I felt like I needed to tell them that but I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old and um and I said but you will get to see God in ways that you never would otherwise and that's been my prayer as their mom that this would just make just such an impact that this would change them for the better. So to get to your question, how did God provide? 
um, it came through the hands and feet of Christ for sure. It came through the body of Christ in so many ways. Financially, people did things for us. Um, everything from a dear friend who saw my boys, two of my boys on a basketball team, and they were the only boys who didn't have the team shoes. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. We were a family of nine. So they were used to, you know, doing without when they needed to. And they didn't, they never came to me and asked for those team shoes. But my friend noticed it. And she went and asked their coach what their shoe size was and ordered them. And I'll tell you, it was just so many little things like that. Um, I had a part-time job that, uh, a company reached out to me that was very close to Dan and said, we've been looking for somebody for this. We think you're just a person and you can do this on your own time as you have time. It was completely malleable around my family. Um, so just all kinds of different ways that God provided scholarships for my children to go to college, you know, just so many ways. The thing that also God provides in ways that are far beyond financial for us, even though he he says in Philippians 4.19 that he will supply every one of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about money there. He will provide um, so many ways he provided for my boys, mentors for them through uh, Sunday school leaders, uh, through coaches. Um, he provided in certain circumstances when I just needed something and then somebody would come with that need. Um, we had a new to us car given to us which is just, a, it was actually the nicest car we've ever had. And we had, we got a knock on the door one day, we were eating leftovers from the TV and we got this knock on the door and we went to open it and we did not know these, this couple. And they said, all you need to know is we are like angels from God who are bringing this to you. And that is exactly what it felt like. It felt like the very hands of God. Certainly there was somebody behind that or some people behind that who had done that for us. But what a lesson for my children that God would provide every one of our needs. Um, and then how did I get into writing? Yes, I was actually a journalism major and then I wrote a lot as an attorney, but I had set all that aside. I was home with my children. I was doing all kinds of things for them and leading book clubs and debate clubs and things like that. But as God began to uh, walk me through, he and as my heart was broken open, he was reshaping it in ways that for him, and he does that. If, you know, I remember saying to him, as long as I'm broken open, you might as well clean me out right now. And the beautiful thing is, and you can see this in people that walk, that walk through a broken place. And it's not automatic. We have to offer our brokenness to God because we can, we can end up with bitterness if we don't continually offer it to him. But if we do, come to him, he will reshape us and bring beauty that we never would have seen. And one of those was writing and speaking. Um, the speaking was a little more natural because people were asking me to speak, you know, just as they knew our family and knew what had happened. But I was going to actually go back to law. And so I had hired my daughter to be me in the home and to kind of take care of my younger kids for a few hours each, for like 15 hours each week. And as I studied, God just kept planting this idea to write. And it was not audible. It was just, if you've been called by God, you know that call and it is irresistible. Like, you know, there is no resisting it. And so finally one night I laid down on the 
ground on the carpet of my bedroom and wept and said, this does not feel reasonable. I know how to do law and I know that I can help my family with that, but this does not feel reasonable at all. And it felt like another walking off the cliff, but I just kept saying, you've got me right. You've, you've got us. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's been um, sweet to be able to encourage others who are walking through, not just what, what I've walked through, because I desperately wanted that. Somebody who could reach back and say, this is the way. I've been there. Let me help you. But to walk with other women, you know, in their own circumstances of loss. Um, I can really appreciate that um, as a fellow called by God to write and like, this is not, um, this is not the path I would have chosen as well. The path is not um, straightforward where when you, I'm a teacher by trade, so you go to school, you get your teaching degree, you go get your teaching job or same with, you know, law. Um, so how have you even navigated the, God, you've called me to this. I And it, again, it is a thing where you're like, if I could get out of this, I would, or if this was, do you know what I mean? My own choosing. But I, I so appreciate that sense of that call where you're like, it is a compelling that you're like, I can't not do this. So I'm trusting you are going to provide the steps and the ways forward. Um, how has he provided and kind of guided you in that? Um, because it's not, there's a lot that goes into actually um, even getting published. Is It's a great deal of work and it can feel like the stars align. So tell me about that. I think one thing that's super important if you're writing is to also be ministering locally. I feel really, really strongly about this because it's in, it's there. So there's a lot of ministry to be done online. And I, that's really a gift to this generation right now that we can commit, we can connect with people all over. I get, I get emails from all different countries and save them to this special folder that I have. I mean, I'm able to pray with people and hear their hearts, but, um, to minister locally and walk with somebody, meeting them over coffee, whether that looks like meeting them over coffee or gathering a group of women or teaching in your church or serving is just a way for God to really be growing in you, your passion and what you will be writing about. And so that, that was integral to me. I began to teach women. I'd always taught uh, sixth grade students and I began to teach in, in our women's ministry and do that. And then meet with women locally over coffee and, and have gatherings. Um, but the other thing is just to, uh, there are a lot of places now where you can get skills on how to write, where you can find a group of other writers. And that's the other huge thing is it's not even just the skills to write, but to have a community who get it, who will cheer you on, who will pray with you through the hard things, who will um, help you connect. And I've had, you know, I've done that through a variety of ways. Call creatives is one way, which is the way I know you. And so Allie and Lisa have a beautiful community where they have, are teaching out of their own wisdom and experience, and then allowing others to find each other and connect, you know, with other writers. And so how did you move from aspiring author, sharing your story to getting published? Like what was that 
I just love hearing people's stories of how all that comes together. Yes, it was a long road. And there were there were times that I despaired that would happen. The first, um, so I met my agent at She Speaks when I was like, I think I had gone, it was maybe a year or two after I started writing. So that would have been like 2016. And it might've been actually 2015. And she was speaking at a session and she was handing out her business cards and saying that she was going to do some things with, you know, bloggers. I had a blog at that point. And would we want to be a part? And so I went up to her afterward and just introduced myself and got a card and really got to know her online through her blogging group that she had and through just online through Facebook, you know, just commenting on her stuff. And she would comment on my stuff and really getting to know her as a person, which is vital because you, when you partner with an agent or you partner with a publishing company, you want to know who they are. How do they represent Christ? What kind of projects do they take on? Do they align with you theologically? Do they align with the kind of projects that you want to do? And those are important questions. So I knew her and um, at one, and then when I was ready, when I had a proposal written, I, she was one of four that I sent it to. Two were cold you know, pitches. I didn't know them, but um, pitched them, never heard anything from them. One was another agent that I knew a little bit. And then I knew Blythe and she was the only one who really responded to me. So we began working together and then you think, okay, I've got an agent. This is great. Like the next step is the book. No, it was probably a year and a half later because she really worked with me on that proposal. And she made me rewrite it and let's redo this and let's take this angle and let's do redo these chapter. If nobody's ever written a proposal for, I, I can't remember how many of my pages were. It was maybe 40 pages. It's, it's a lot of words. You write three whole chapters. You um, have a summary for every chapter in your book. So you have to know this book that you're going to write. You write about, you know, who this book is for, who the reader is, who your contacts are, who, you know, could help sell this book. Um, so after we had done that, she one day pitched it to all, like all at once. Some agents I have heard will pitch one at a time to publishers, she sent it to all of her contacts in the publishing industry, Christian publishing industry. And we began to hear back very quickly. She would send me emails. As soon as she heard, she would send me emails. And some of them were no, some of them were, we just took a book like this. Some of them were, um, let's talk. And so I had three publishing publishers say, let's talk. And so we did phone calls between my agent Blythe Daniels and the publishing company and myself to just kind of work through the idea. One of them loved it just as it was. One of them wanted me to change it, um, not drastically, but enough that caused me to think, mm, I don't know if that's actually the book that I'm thinking of. And then one wanted to change it just, she wanted to kind of broaden it. So um, as it ended up, I got one offer and it was from my friend, Jennifer Dukes Lee, who I also had cultivated an online relationship with. So I was not, she had known me over the years. She had known my writing over the years. She had watched that kind of develop. And so I think for her as the acquiring agent at Bethany House, she knew what she was getting her publishing house into. And I knew her. And I, while I didn't know Bethany House, I knew Jennifer and her writing. So it's been, it's been an, honestly a very good experience. It's been much, much longer than I ever thought it would be. But in the end, it's a better book for it. Well, I love that you share all those details. And even, um, I mean, I find behind the scenes stories always fascinating. Um, but even just the 
you know, there's so much in there that we don't get to hear, which are the anticipation, the disappointments, the, you know, again, all the prayer, everything that goes into that. I love that you shared, um, even about wanting to be represented by people that line up with, um, who you are and what you believe. And so, um, I'm really excited. Your book is coming out and it will be really coming out as this episode airs. Um, and so I just want to share about it again, because another big part of this publishing process is launching and it's not something that people can do on their own. And so if you're listening, if you have really enjoyed Lisa's heart and her story, uh, really one of the best things you can do is, um, well, of course you can buy the book. You can leave a review on Amazon. Um, that's really key for authors pre-ordering the book. Amazon always gives you the best, um, price. So pre-ordering the book is key. And then even just sharing in your social media, uh, you can take something that Lisa has shared about and you can share that to your stories and write about it. So any of that stuff, you don't have to officially be on like a launch team, um, but just as a way to support Lisa and her message and really everything she's been sharing about today is is the heart um, that she's sharing behind her book. And it's, um, you know, we don't have to be walking through the same thing to be feeling like we're in a place where we're like, I need, I need God to meet me um, in everything that I'm walking through. So um, the book again is called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It Falls Apart. Um, and Lisa is, A-P-P-E-L-O is how you spell her last name, Lisa Apollo. So Lisa, thank you for being on Ready to Thrive. Thank you for having me, Jacqueline. This has been a great conversation and I appreciate you. Thank you. And I trust for the listener, it's helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you are listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact Thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.